Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 today. In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may be seated. We have been studying now this book of Ephesians, this letter of Paul to the church of Ephesus for the past two weeks. And in it, um, we have considered then the sovereignty of God, and Paul's prayer for the saints as a response to that. And so, as we considered the sovereignty of God, we saw that it was his plan for redemption of man and the spiritual blessings that we received as a result, that God, before he laid the foundations of the world, knew that he was going to inhabit the earth, Isaiah 45, 18, right? And that when he inhabited the earth, he was going to make man to inhabit it, but he was going to make man in his image and in his likeness, but that man then would fall. They would disobey. They would um, turn away from him, and that we would need a deliverer, a savior. We would need to be redeemed. We would need to be pardoned. And God went beyond that. Not only did he formulate a plan for our redemption, but as part of that redemption plan, as part of pardoning us for what we should have been um, annihilated for, if you would, condemned for, he adopted us. He made us his kids. He made us his favorites. Remember that? He placed his favor upon us. We're accepted in the beloved. As a result of that, then Paul prays for the, the, the believers. And he prays specifically then that God would give them the spirit of wisdom, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Because again, eternal life isn't just knowing about God. Eternal life is knowing God. And if you have ever accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you have at this very moment eternal life. But I want to submit to you that the joy, if you would, the greatness, the fulfillness of that life is what becomes greater and greater. You might have 
an entrance into heaven. But God has called you to a whole lot more than that. He hasn't called us just to have fire insurance. And the more and more I meet people, and I, I struggle with the fact that, that there are a lot of people probably going to hell thinking they're going to heaven because they prayed for fire insurance. They didn't pray for a relationship. In life with Christ isn't just saying a prayer and calling yourself a Christian. It comes with a change. A change not that you do. That's the hardest part. For me, for Bob, that's one of the struggles in my life right now as a believer, knowing, walking with God, is allowing him to do the work and yet not understanding that I have a part to play in doing the work. That I have to walk the walk. I have to be worthy, right? To walk worthy of the calling with which I was called. And yet, I'm not the one doing the work within me to do the walk. All I have to do is obey, submit, do what God has called me to do. That's my part. So I want to challenge you as we go into this. This is an exciting portion for me. Um, every portion is exciting, I know. But this is really, uh, talking about our transformation, I, 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 there was a lot of woohoo moments this week as I was studying, okay? And you'll get some of those, okay? Um, there, there's, there, there was a slide I put on here. It's not there. I might mention it as we get to it. But it's not there anymore because some of the things, it's just, it's just been so fun for me as, as, as I've gone through this and I've considered the transformation that God has worked in our lives. So, without further ado, let's get into um, Ephesians 2. Paul begins right off the bat with talking about our former condition. Now, if you've got the King James or New King James, this is one of my, my moments for this week, and I probably knew this before, maybe not. I probably did, and I just... Anyways, I've memorized the book of Ephesians, but I memorized the book of Ephesians from, from the King James. And so this is always, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's not what it says in the Greek. The you hath he quickened is not even not there. And you who are dead in trespasses and sins. So if you have a New American Standard or an ESV, yours probably does, it starts off that way, right? And you were dead in trespasses. And you who were dead, is that, am I right, David? Yeah, you, were dead you were dead in trespasses. And so it's not even there. The, the, and, you were made, and you who were made alive and quickened. It's not there. It's not there. I understand why it's there. We're going to get to that later. But it's not there. So get rid of it. Because there is a point that Paul was making based upon everything he just stated in what we call chapter 1. Okay? All the gifts and the sovereignty of God and everything else. He's starting off the fact with, this is what you were, though. You became a favorite of God. God did all these wonderful things for you. But you were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, we know Romans 6.23, we're using that as our one-verse um, evangelism tool and breaking out from there, right? But we know that the wages of sin is what? Death. And the gift of God is eternal life. Well, there are many in the theology realm who want to camp on this verse. Um, and again, I know I talk about this, but it's, it's teaching moments, okay? And this is the, the Calvinism versus Arminianism stuff. And, um, and so it's the, the, the predestination election stuff versus the the responsibility free will of man okay 
And so they'll go to Ephesians 2, 1, and they'll say, and you were what? What does it say? You were what? You were dead. You were dead. What can a dead man do? Nothing. A dead man can do nothing. Well, that's not necessarily true. Okay? So if you, if you take that and you, and you go that realm, that's exactly right. But that's not how it's necessarily meant here. Romans 6.23, that's not how it's meant. A dead man does a lot. A dead man does what? He sins. He walks, he sins, he does all these things, right? But Jesus says in, in John 5, he says, Most surely I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will what? They'll hear. They'll hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will what? Will live. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I, what I read is the fact that a dead man can what? Hear. And a dead man can also do what? Read the rest of a verse. What can a dead man do? Not just live, what can he do? He can hear, but what comes after the hearing? What can he do? What's the difference, what's the difference between the hearing? The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What did they do? They believed. They believed. Remember last week's message. or I'm sorry, two weeks ago's message. Okay, When we talked about uh, God's sovereignty, but then the, re- the, the responsibility of man. What was the responsibility of man? From Ephesians 1. And you also trusted after you what? Heard the word of truth. You what? You heard and you what? Trusted. You believed. What can a dead man do? He can hear. And he can what? He can trust. It's all he can do. He can't get himself out of the grave. He can't get himself out of the walk. We're going to talk about the walk in a moment. He can't get himself out of it. He can't do anything about it. But what he can do, the only thing he can do, he can hear. And he can believe. The psalmist declared that it's God who lifts him up. and He's praying for God to lift him up out of the what? The miry clay. He got himself stuck in the what? In the quicksand. You've seen it in movies and stuff like that. Probably you've never seen it in real life. Someone's stuck in quicksand, right? But how does somebody get out of quicksand? Say again? Someone pulled them out. So did they arm to arm pull them out? Or a lot of times when you see it, what does it really, how does it play out? <laughs> Bend a tree. I never saw that one. That's pretty cool, though. Bend a tree branch down, grab a hold of it. Anyways, um, that would be kind of fun. Um, Do you see that in a movie? Really? That's kind of fun. I haven't seen, never seen that. Um, anyways, but they had to have what? Help. Do you get it? They couldn't get out on their own. So whether it was arm to arm, whether they put in a stick, whatever it was, whether they, they put in a rope, the point is they needed to have help to get out. But they had to do something, unless they were close enough to the edge that the person grabbed in and grabbed them and yanked them out. Okay? But generally speaking, in that moment, in the miry clay moment, you have to be able to reach out and grab them. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a part. You were dead. You were dead. Some of you still may be. I don't know. I don't know your hearts. But this is your condition apart from Jesus Christ. 
you are in a state of deadness. Your lifestyle, we just read it, right? You walked according to the course of this world. The word course there is the word aeon, okay, which is where we get eon from, okay? And it's talking about the age, okay? Which is very critical to me. It's not just, uh, it, it, it's in each eon, in each age, the world is different. How many of you came today with a toga on? You're, you're, you have different clothing than even a few hundred years ago. Does it make sense? I still have a tie-on, and I'm not picking on the rest of you guys, but I'm the only one here with a tie-on. And I, I mentioned to, to um, Donald earlier, we were talking about how I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm debating whether I'm changing my apparel a little bit on this one. But, but for me, I, I struggle with that, okay? Because what we're going to talk about briefly here, right, that you walked according to the fashion, the eon, the, the, the culture of the day. And we're told overwhelmingly in God's word that we're not supposed to do that. Now, I don't, I'm not talking about that we sing songs that are 50 years old because then we feel good about ourselves. We wear clothes that are 50 years out of date because we feel, we feel good about ourselves. But think about it. Why do you listen to what you listen to? Why do you wear what you wear? Why do you watch what you watch? Why do you read what you read? Are you being influenced by the world? And so I'm told in Romans 12, verse 1, it's not up there, but I'm supposed to offer my body as a what? A living sacrifice. I'm supposed to die to myself. Okay? And I'm not supposed to be conformed to the world. Rather, I'm supposed to be what? Transformed. How? Through the renewing of my mind. Why? So I can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So clearly, God's will, in some manner, is going to be countercultural. Does that, you tracking with me on this one? Then, when God is working in me, His will is going to look different than the world. I'm going to be in some manner like a city that is set upon a hill, whose light cannot be hidden. And others are going to observe the good works that, that, that they, they see in me, and they're going to glorify me. Is that right? No, it's not right. They're going to see the good works in me, they're going to glorify who? My Father who's in heaven. They're going to understand that the things that are happening in me and through me are not as a result of me. That it couldn't be because of me. That there has to be something beyond me. Does it sound like your life so far? That, that clearly your life, there's something going on in your life that's way beyond you? That you've been transformed in such a way that people are wondering, like, wow, what happened to him? Or do you still walk according to the course of the world and people don't even know that you're a believer? Jeremiah 10 is in the context, and we're going to look at Ezekiel in a moment, in the context of idol worship. So I understand the context, okay? Um, so, but listen to what it says. Listen to what Yahweh declares. So Jeremiah 10 verse 1 begins, says here, the word of Yahweh speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says Yahweh, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heavens. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are futile. Do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. You are being inundated every single day. 
Social media, if you are on social media, you are being inundated all the time. If you are on talk radio, you're being inundated all the time. I challenge you. For every minute you're spending in the world, letting the world inundate and, and, and teach you and train you to spend that much time in God's Word. Either reading it, listening to it, listening to a message regarding it. That your mind can be transformed, that all of a sudden you begin to be not like the world, but you begin to be like Jesus. Because remember, that's ultimately the calling, Right? That's ultimately what we're called to be, is transformed, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus was countercultural. That doesn't mean he wore something different than everybody else wore. That means he didn't, it didn't mean that he wore his hair differently. But everybody knew he acted differently. He thought differently. He judged differently. He assessed situations differently. He wasn't selfish. He was other-focused. Ezekiel, And you shall know that I am Yahweh, declares Yahweh, for you have not walked in my statutes nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles which are all around you. Do you know what this portion is all about? because they didn't listen to the warning. And now they're going to know that Yahweh's Yahweh, because Yahweh's going to judge them. And why is he going to judge them? Because they walked according to the course of this world. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, track me up with me on this one. This is what you used to be. Do you understand? It's what you used to be you used to do these things so you should be asking yourself what is that a past tense statement for you you used to do this you walked according to the course of the world it gets worse because now he defines it a little bit better for us you walked according to the prince of the power of the air you walked according to the authority of satan Walking in the, in the course of this world is walking according to the authority of Satan. How does Satan have any authority at all in this world? Let's be honest. God allows it. God gave it to him. God allowed it. Whether you want to talk about Decreed will, permissive will, whatever, I don't know. I'm, that's beyond Bob's brain, okay? But God, you get it? God allowed it. God caused it, whatever. He, when he made Satan, he didn't take, Satan didn't take him by surprise. Does it make sense? Satan chose to become like the most high God, and God allowed it. Satan came into his throne room one day, and they talked about Job. Did it take God by surprise that Satan would want to test Job? Not at all. Did he allow him to test Job? He did. Do you get what I'm saying? There is a war going on, and we'll get there when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, right? But there's a war that's going on. There's a spiritual realm that's out there right now, all around us, that we just haven't, we, we don't think about. 
We live in this physical realm, and we don't think about the spiritual realm that's going on around us. And so when you walk physically after the course of the world, you spiritually are following after the dictates and authority of Satan, who is doing whatever he can to make you impotent for God. Do you get it? It's not about you. It's about God. Why does Satan want to destroy Israel? Because he hates Israel. No. Yes, but no. Why does he want to destroy Israel? He hates God. It's a war against God. Do you get it? And if you're one of God's favorites, guess what? He hates you too. <laughs> That's right. You're not his favorite anymore. Because you used to be one of his favorites because you used to be in his camp. Do you get it? Colossians chapter 1, right? Tells us that we were, we were taken... It was like a sortie happened. The special forces, God's special forces came in to the camp of Satan and they grabbed me and they took me out and they brought me into the, the kingdom of the son of his love. I'm a traitor. From the perspective of Satan. You get it? How wonderful is that? I used to walk according to the course of the world. I used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of, it says disobedience. All of them say disobedience, which is so weird to me. The word is disbelief. It's disbelief. It's apatheia. No belief. Pathos, pathos is faith, trust. They're the people with no faith, no trust. That's what happens. It's not disobedience. It's just that you don't believe. Lord, why couldn't we do this? Because you're what? Of little faith. You don't see the power of God working in your life because you don't believe it's going to be. I mentioned at the very end of Sunday school, probably one of my great, I'm sure it's a great sin. And it's something I struggle with and I, I keep asking God to help me with. And that is, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and they, they will turn from their wicked ways and, and, and they will uh, pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will what? Heal the land. Do I really believe he can heal the land? Do I really believe he can? I mean, I believe all the other part. I believe it's, it's we who are believers. We need to repent. We need to change. We need to be put on sackcloth and ashes. We need to be confessing our sins, not the sins of everybody else around us. We like to do that. We like to confess the sins of, of, our, of our culture. He's not talking to the culture. He's talking to you. But then I get to the end that he'll heal my land. And I look at the United States and I go, what? I think it's beyond healing. Think of that from the physical perspective. When somebody has cancer, someone has whatever, and you're praying and you're praying for a healing, there's still part of you that's struggling, isn't it? You know? Well, I do that with, when it comes to the United States and it's like, that's a lack of faith, Bob. If I say to this mustard, or say to the, the mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, it ought to be done for me because I what? Because I believe it to be so. If God wants me to do that, do you understand? I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. But these are people of disbelief, not disobedience. They become disobedient because they don't believe. Do you, do you, are you tracking with my application? I mean, we can talk about unbelievers, we can talk about sinners all we want, but what about you and me? If I say I know Him, if I say I know His power, and I know what He's done, I know the resurrection power, how can I stop walking in disbelief? If God says something, he'll do it. Do you believe that? 
Does your life show it? We're living instead according to the lust of our flesh. That's what we were doing. You used to do that. That means you used to do that. That was a past tense thing. You used to live according to the lust of your flesh. You used to seek to fulfill the desire of your flesh. Do you understand? This is your former condition. Again, I'm I'm struggling. I'm I'm challenging you, okay? And I'm I'm trying to be honest, okay? Because this isn't just a you. This is Bob. Remember, Bob's already said this has been a kind of week, right? This is what I used to be. Not what I should be. Are you tracking with me? Because I was by nature a child of wrath. The word nature here is the word physis. This is a, a, one of these woohoo moments. Do you ever wonder what metaphysics is? Do you ever think about metaphysics? Some people are like, no, I don't think about metaphysics. I think I'm, I'm very metaphysical from what my uncle told me. There was no sort of shock to him when I when I went to seminary and, and all this kind of stuff, because I've always been philosophical, and I don't really know, remember that, but he as an adult remembers that about me, about being very meditative and philosophical and, and that kind of stuff. And so that hasn't changed. Now that in, I'm in Christ, it just transforms more, because now I have this concept of eternity that I understand now. It doesn't make me spin as much. I, 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 I still do spin when I think of what eternity is. I, it causes my brain to, to shudder sometimes because my brain just can't handle this thing. You know, and I want to be able to handle it, and I can't handle it. But this whole concept of there's, there's a mystery. And so I, just if I can drop back a moment, I'm not trying to take it away from the Bible, but just one little statement that will maybe help you out a little bit with Bob's brain and where this is kind of going a little bit. Um, it's a tale of two cities. Um, and, and I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm going to probably say it wrong exactly how it is. This is how Bob remembers it, okay? Is, as the mailman is coming into the city and, and he sees, and through the fog, he sees the lights. And every light represents a candle. Every candle represents a window. Every window represents an individual. Every individual represents a mystery. I stopped reading. It took me months, maybe a couple of years, before I picked the book back up. I just pondered that for such a long time. You all, right now, you got 10,000 things going through your mind right now. Some of you are thinking, what an idiot he is. And, uh, you know, some of you are thinking, well, okay, that's kind of deep. You know, and you're thinking about Charles Dickens now, and you may be thinking, well, maybe I'll read that book. Or, and, and, and all these things are going on, but you are all a mystery to me right now. You haven't even got a clue what's all going through my brain right now. You probably don't want to know what's going on. Remember. Anyways, but we're a mystery to one another. But you know what? Here's the deal. We're all the same. We are all one and the same. We all have the same physis. Physis is um, everything by which its origin or its observation of its constitution seems to be a given. Okay? Humanity. What is humanity? Well, by nature... By nature, biblically, by nature, by nature, just being human, you're dead in sins. Do you get it? It's your very nature. It's who you were, who you were before Jesus. Your old man. We talk about these terms sometimes, you know, we throw these terms out. But you're after, after you're saved. So get rid of some of these terms, but, but think through the process. 
You thought like a sinner. You acted like a sinner. You talked like a sinner. You tasted like a sinner. Why? Because you were. Do you ever wonder why people do what they do? Why does a sinner sin? Because he's a sinner. Why does a liar lie? Because he's a liar. Before you knew Jesus, guess what? You were those things. That's part of who we, we were. And we just did it because just kind of who we were. And so we talk about this transformation. What's the word that is usually used for the transformation? Kind of a Greek basis. Meta what? Metamorphosis. A lot of times we talk about a metamorphosis. That's where I was going. And it, that's where my, boom, my slide changed. I was going to put up the, the picture of the, the worm coming through and coming out of the chrysalis, you know, and I was going to put a big X over the, the in-between stages because there's no in-between stage. It's a what? It's not a... Metamorphosis is a bad, 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 bad illustration. This is a total change in your physis. Not a change in your morphe. Your morphe actually does change. What you look like as a believer... Look, as you are getting conformed to the image of Christ, your morphe, how you act, what you do, does change. Does it make sense? But your physis, your nature, who you are, is changed. You used to be dead. You walked according to the course of the world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You were by nature children of wrath, waiting for the wrath of God to be placed upon you. But God, that's when I become a preacher. But God! But God. And that's when I stop. And it's like Charles Dickens' book again. And I just can't do anything anymore. Because Bob knows he was those things. Bob knows the kind of life that he lived. Bob knows the decadence That I dwelt in. I know how my thoughts were yearning for my own pleasures and for my own desires to fulfill the lusts of my flesh. I lived for it. I yearned for it. I got married for it. I'm being honest. My first reaction to Marcia wasn't, oh, what a godly woman. It was, hmm, that's pretty nice. I'm being straight. You young guys, I pray for you. That you get real with Jesus. And you understand life differently. It's only by God's grace that he allowed my wife and I to be saved at the same time. And to be able to grow. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. I could have gotten the consequences of my choices. And then live with them. He'd have been just to do that. But God. But God. And then we're told about his very nature. Who is rich 
in mercy. But God, who is rich, stinking rich in mercy. You can not out expend the mercy of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care how vile you are. I don't care how wicked you are. I don't care how nasty you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're on death row. Ten times over. But God. But God. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Because of his great, what? Love. Even while I was dead in sin. Even while I was dead in sin. Romans 5 verse 8, right? And God commanded his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sent his, made his plan, made his purpose, enacted what he's going to do. And we'll talk more about this plan next week when we talk about the church and how the Gentiles join with the Jews. The plan's much bigger than just you getting saved. That's an exciting part. I get an exciting part of the plan. But the plan of God is much bigger than Bob. But God's plan was that salvation would come by his, an act of his grace, by me being able to believe by faith, not by having to work for it. Romans 3 is very clear. I've got verses on your sermon note sheet where you can go you can read and check it out. Okay, That it's not by works, which we have done, but by what? But by faith, but by believing. That's the gift of God. The gift of God is not my faith. He didn't give me the gift. Boop, you got faith. You believe and boom, you're saved. The gift of God is not making me come by my works. But that I can just believe by his grace. Do you understand? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the gift is. Prior to Christ, I thought I had to be good enough. So even in Bob's decadence, even in Bob's decadence, Bob went to church every Sunday. Why? Be honest. Come on. Why? Why did I go to church? You know. I mean, to make me feel better, to earn points with God. Make sense? I can go. And so in the Lutheran church, we had the mass atonement that went on. The pastor just grants the atonement for everything. The Catholic church, you go and you can do your Hail Marys and your Our Fathers. And I'm not picking on, okay, um, I could pick on the Baptists. I could pick on the Bible people, okay? You're going, to, you're going to church on a Sunday because you think that going to church earns you points with God. I remember a guy once that was in a Baptist church who told me that... When we built the, 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 the facility that we were, it was a new facility, so i got to be careful, some of you know where, I'm going, where I was, okay? And, um, but this guy, so back in those days, right, said, I sure hope we got an altar. 
because I'll be going up every Sunday. My first thought was, I was a new believer. Like, man, if you're going up every Sunday, it ain't real. It ain't real. But he thought he could go up every Sunday and get it right with God. He'd do whatever he wanted during the course of the week as long as he went on Sunday and he went up to the altar. I got a problem? It's where you used to be. It's where you used to be. God's plan was not that I had to work for it. I don't have to do a thing. I, it's a struggle. I tell you, it's a struggle for Bob. Bob's the old man, the new man just battles in there. You know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I don't do the things I do want to do. I find that there's a war that's going on within me. That's Romans chapter seven, right? And so I, I get it. And so there's part of me that still wants to what, work for this thing, wants to make an atonement, wants to do something to, to make an appeasement of God. And I can't. Nothing. Period. Even after you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no works you can do. All you can do is the same exact thing that you could do to get saved. Is believe. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can't do anything to make God love you better. What a mind-boggling thing. It's not just initiated by God's grace. It's activated then by man's faith. We're told over and over and over again. These are just a smattering of verses, right? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has what? Everlasting life. Not that he's going to get everlasting life. Again, I camp on this a lot, but you're not going to get everlasting life. You're not going to get eternal life. You have eternal life. If you have called upon the name of the Lord in your heart, you have believed, you have trusted in Jesus. You have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, that's what John was saying. These things are written unto you that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you may know that you have eternal life. I have it. You can't kill me. You can't kill me. You can stop me from living in this tent, but you can't kill me. But as we read even in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's not even a matter of, again, what I think of as physical life. You know, that, that my, my, my tent may stop, but I'm, I'm trajectory still going on, but it's life. That's what we're talking about, spiritual death, spiritual life. It's life even beyond the physical realm. Life is knowing God. You want to have life and you want to have it to the fullness? Get to know God better and better. The secret of having a fulfilled Christian walk is the redemption of that which cannot be saved, to invest in the redemption of that which can be saved by laying all that you are on the altar in order that he may alter all that you are. It's taking time, your, your moments on this earth and redeeming them because the days are what? Evil. To invest in the redemption of souls. And you'll only do that when you lay yourself on an altar. And offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That he may change everything you are. I got so much still to change. But I'm glad I got a great physician. I'm glad I got a, the best surgeon. Spiritual surgeon known to man. Who's got me on that operating table. And it's continually cleansing me. 
and taking things away. It's activated by your faith. Again, I ask, do you believe? Do you believe? Have you ever? I, I don't want to get to heaven and find out that, that there are people condemned to going to hell that I had the chance, specifically even in an audience like this, to share. Have you ever honestly, earnestly, Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Now, I don't want to get into lordship salvation, but I do believe in a little bit of that. Not that you've got to change before you get saved. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to be willing to give him the reins. There's a little bit of a carte blanche check being written. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he your savior? Has he saved you from what you used to be? I mean, if you still look like that other guy walking in all those things, you're probably not saved. And honestly, straight up, you can tell me whatever and I'll accept it. But you can tell God whatever and he'll tell you the truth. Because he knows the truth. So you can fool man, but you're not going to fool God. Don't play the game. I don't care if you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult, whether you're an old adult. Whether I've known you for one day or if I've known you for, for how long have we known each other? Forever. Since dirt was made, since we got off the ark together. Anyways. Do you get it? It's a challenge for me. I don't want to be playing a game. I, I, I tell to God, I don't want to play a game. I don't want my love to wax cold because the evil is abounding and, and, and I become enamored. These are all things that are in my brain. I, I, I don't want this to happen to me, God. I want to love you. I want to be earnest for you. I hate when I'm feeling dry spiritually because I know he hasn't moved. Do you get it? And I don't want it for you guys. Don't play the game. Don't get sucked into the world. But God works the change in your nature. You were dead, but now you are alive. So what does it look like, our current situation? First of all, our position. We were made, we're told, alive with Christ. Okay? We were raised up with Christ. We were given a seat in the heavens with Christ. Now, these are all the Greek words. I transliterated them, okay? But do you see something in common in all those words? What it looks like is, yeah, good, Steve. That's very good, okay? Everybody else is going to say son. You said what? Together or with, okay? Together. So sun is sin. We're like a synonym or a synergy. It's the S-Y-N prefix that you'd see in English, okay? And it means together with, okay? So like a synagogue, a synagogue, a synagogue, to go together with, okay, is what literally what a synagogue is, a synagogue, okay, is to, to, to go together with. And so it's with Jesus. Do you get it? He didn't just make me alive. He made me alive together with Jesus. So do you know what you're saying when you say that you can be dead and with Christ at the same time? 
that Christ could. I've said it before, but it is applicable here. The primary difference between Bob before Christ and after Christ. Now, there's many since then, okay? But the thing that I know that makes me know that I 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 know. Do you know? Anyways, sin bothers me. Sin bothers me. Sin doesn't bother me. Sin used to bother me only if I thought I was going to get what? Caught. <laughs> exactly. exactly. If I thought I was going to get caught, sin might bother me because I didn't want to be bothered. But now sin bothers me because it bothers my dad. It bothers my Abba. It bothers the relationship that I have with my Abba. And there are times it makes me weep. I'm not saying you've got to cry. But sin ought to bother you. It ought to just stink down in your gut that you are atrocious. You're an abomination. You're a stench in the nostrils of your dad at this moment. And you don't want that. Before, I didn't care. Before, I just go to church, make it up, put some more money in the offering plate, whatever. Now I get it. It's a relationship. I don't want my dad, my Abba, my Heavenly Father being displeased with me. I want him pleased. I want to please my father. And if you've got kids, you get it. You'd love for your kids to want to please you. How much greater in that spiritual realm? You're made alive with him. You are raised. Do you note that these are past tense? These aren't future tense. You're not, getting, you're not going to be raised with him. You were raised with him. It's a done deal. Romans chapter 8 says you already were glorified. You already were justified. I'm glorified? I know my life. God's telling you what's true. You used to be those things. Now this is what you are. You are made alive together with Jesus. You are raised together with Jesus. And you are given a seat in the heavenlies together with Jesus. Where's Jesus sitting? Where's he sitting? The right hand of the Father. Do you get it? You are given a seat together with Jesus in the heavenlies. Whether you realize it or not, you're sitting in the presence of your Abba. That's why you can talk to him anytime you want to. He's right there. He's not living you. You're being distracted by him. Or not by him, by other things. And you're not focusing on him. You're seated together in the heavenlies, together with Jesus. This is where we get metaphysical. Do you get what I'm talking about? Okay. Because you can't what? You can't see it. But, but this is your new nature. This is your new nature. Because now we talk about our purpose. What's my purpose? It's twofold. First of all, to reveal the great kindness of God. Through our lives, people see the joy of the grace of God. God did all of this in you. 
not just for you, but for everybody around you. So he could reveal, in, in, in the process of time, he could reveal in you the greatness of his grace. So others would see it. Do people see that in you? Do they see a joy of living because you know your Abba and you know what he's done for you? I mean, do you get the grace that's been bestowed upon you and how unworthy you are of it? Or do you live for the world? You got this camouflage on because you're looking just like the world. It ought not to be so. To reveal his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good work, which he, what? Before ordained. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. My works don't save me. Because all my works are like what? Filthy rags. But when God saved me and transformed me and changed my physis, changed my very nature, my very being. Now all of a sudden my works have a different motivation. My works are different. And so Philippians chapter 2, Paul says to him, he says, it's God who works in you both to will and to do of for his good pleasure. Do you get it? Now, all of a sudden, I'm not working for Bob. I'm working for God. And it's interesting to me, even when I talk to other Christians or even other pastors, quote-unquote, sometimes, the confusion that I see in people's faces when I talk about this being Jesus' church and that I really mean it. And they, they want, you know, like, so like we talk about the, the new facility that, you know, the elders are praying about, and we're going to be meeting on Thursday and Friday. Please pray for us in this one, because we really feel like, it's time. We want to know what God wants. And so, but I tell those people that and they, they want to know my, my vision, my plan. It's like, I don't have one. I want Jesus. There's four elders. It's not my church. And so, well, aren't, aren't you telling them? No, I'm not telling them. It could be one of their ideas that, 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 that God works in them. It could be that God works through each one of us, giving us a little part of it. No, it's not in the end. Here it is. It doesn't have to. Huh? It's countercultural. Living for Jesus is countercultural even to the church. Because the church is so influenced by the world. Read Colossians chapter 2 about the rudimentary principles of the world. Be careful that no one cheats you. We get cheated from having the fullness of what everything we can have in Jesus. Watching him do his work in such a mighty way because we're trusting in ourselves. Could we slide on back and walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience? You get it? And so when I start walking according to the course of the world, I don't care whether it's business or whatever, I'm still looking to the world and not to Jesus. And my whole nature has changed. Now I want to look at Jesus. On everything. So, you have a new nature. Do you get it? You have a new nature. You have a new lifestyle. Because you got a new state. You're alive. No longer are you dead in trespasses and sins. 
You don't have that old man. You got the new man. It's created in Christ Jesus. It's looking like Christ Jesus. And that's why you can be challenged to have the mind of Christ Jesus. Because you can do it. Do you believe? Think about it. Do you believe? It's like moving a mountain into the sea for my mind to start thinking like Jesus. But God will do that work. You just have to believe he will. Do you believe that he will? So in the end, are you alive in Christ? Are you alive in Christ? If you died right now, where are you going to go? You died right now. Where are you going to go? Why? Why will you go? Or why do you think you'll go? Is it because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you viewed God's grace as a pass to sin? Those are sins of presumption. And I get it. There's no temptations overtaking you, but such is what? Common to man. And it becomes very easy for us as believers to perform sins of presumption where we presume upon the grace of God. But your new nature ought to cry out against you on it. It ought to, The Holy Spirit living inside of you ought to condemn you. If the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of, of righteousness, sin, and judgment, how much more so if he's living inside of you? And if you have no conviction that what you're doing is wrong, and it just eats you from the inside out, then you need to check and go back to the first question and ask yourself, are you really alive? Are you walking in the works of God or in the desires of your flesh? Are you living for the world? Or are you living for Jesus? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Or are you laying up treasures on earth? I could keep going. You get the illustrations. They're, re- they're just replete in the word of God. And I'm not beating on you. I'm beating on Bob. Because this is a continual battle for Bob living in the world too. I'm in the world, but I'm what? I'm not of it. You get it? And so we need to be constantly reminded who we were, but who we are. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. You have called us to be your own. You have made us alive together with Christ. You have made us to be raised together with Christ. And you have caused us to be seated in the heavenlies together with Christ. I, just beyond my mind, Lord, I rejoice in you for it, though. That I know that in the Spirit, I am in your presence. You dwell in me in a marvelous way. And you are working your work in my life in a manner that's beyond what I could have ever imagined. And I rejoice in you for it. I rejoice in the work that you're doing in in so many other people's lives, Lord. (laughs) Beyond my mind, beyond my comprehension. It's all your tapestry. And we rejoice in you for it. Help me. 
help these others to desire your working in our lives. Lord, that we would walk as those who are alive, not as those who are dead. That we would reveal your grace. We would reveal your great kindness, your chesed, to those who meet us. Lord, allow us to see many come to know you as their Savior. Cause us to be real. Cause us to be true. For your glory in Christ's name. Amen.